jets over your head, right? And that usually gets you excited. Maybe you're at the beach and you see an aircraft carrier approaching our shores. That'd be pretty cool if it was an American fighter jet or an American (laughs) aircraft carrier, but let's say it wasn't. Let's say it was a powerful force coming from the east. Maybe it's Russia. I don't know. Maybe it's North, maybe it's North Korea. I don't know. Maybe it's China, right? I don't know, right? But you see this army descending on Southern California. And when they fly over Southern California, and when they land on the shores, armies are just coming off these boats and trying to take over everything that's going on in Southern California. How would you feel about that? Even worse than that, they take some of you, they take those of you who, let's just say, you're not the most attractive, right? Um, Just let you be the judge of that. I'm not going to judge that. Um, Those of you that are not very attractive, that aren't very strong, they kill you, right? Bummer, right? You can decide among your small groups who would live and who would die. Um, And then let's say they take the big ones, the strong ones, the smart ones. They take all of you, they round you up and take you, put you back on the aircraft carrier and take you back to their land. And when you get to their land, not only do you have to speak their language and eat their food and learn their culture, you have to be educated by them. And not only do you have to do that, you have to be doing that so that you can serve the government that took you hostage. Imagine what that would be like. Well, in the Bible, that's exactly what happened to some people in the Bible. That's what happened to the guy that we're going to learn about tonight, Daniel. He was living his life, doing his thing in Israel, in the land of Judah, probably in the city of Jerusalem. And a foreign army came with all of its power, with all of its might, with all of its amazing horses and chariots and armies. And they came in, they took the people out, they killed a lot of them, they took some hostage, and they took Daniel back to their land. This is uh, called the Babylonian exile, okay? And the Bible um, describes this exile where the people of Judah, the people of Israel, who live in the south, right? They're in that most important city, Jerusalem. They live there, and they're taken out of their land. And you might think, well, why did God ever let that happen? Well, God let that happen because they did exactly what God told them not to do in the book of Deuteronomy. God said that if you don't follow my rules, if you don't do what I tell you to do in the land, I will remove you from the land. And this is exactly what happens in the book of Daniel. They're removed. And there's actually three phases of this. Um, You guys are used to phase one, two, and three, right? There was three phases of this exile. The first phase happened in 605 BC where Daniel was taken. The second phase happened in 597 BC. So that's what, uh, seven years later that happened. So it was something like tens of thousands of priests were taken to the land of Babylon in that area. And that's where we find the guy named Ezekiel from the Bible. He was taken in that exile. And then right here, what this picture is describing is the third wave of exile in 586 BC, something like 20 years after Daniel was taken. In that third wave, which the book of Daniel doesn't talk very much about because um, a lot of the book of Daniel happened before that. Some of it took place after. They came in and they killed people. They tore down the temple. They burned the temple. They took whatever they wanted. This is a bad time for the nation of Israel. But these young teenagers in 605 BC, and we think they were about 13, 14, 15, maybe 16 when they were taken, they were taken to this amazing city of Babylon. Right? I know it's their enemy, and I know it's maybe... um, the people that they, they hated, but it was a pretty impressive place to be. 
They, they say that there was these hanging gardens where they would plant these trees and they put them up in these pools of water and the king, Nebuchadnezzar, made these amazing things and it seems like the walls, part of them were, were they're emerald. Some of it was this blue color. It was this amazing city that they're brought to. And we've got these young men. That is exactly what's described in the book of Daniel. So I want you to open up your Bibles to the book of Daniel. I want to read together. I'm not going to put it on the screen, so you need to check out your Bibles and look at this. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. It shows what's going on in these dark days in Israel when these teenagers are taken. And the reason that's powerful for you is because it could have been you. You could have lived at a different time. It could have been you that was taken. I want you to put yourself in their shoes or their sandals or their Birkenstocks or whatever they were wearing back then. Lauren is already in their Birkenstocks. She wore those tonight. Um, Daniel chapter 1. Verse 1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, which means you take these armies, you surround a city, you cut off its water supply, you cut off its food supply, and you keep them in this place, and eventually you'll starve them out. Verse 2 says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, that's Nebuchadnezzar's God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans, right? That's a mouthful, but that's what I was describing, where they took the, the rich kids, they took some of the good-looking kids, they took the nobility. So these people that we find in Babylon, Daniel, and some others that we're going to talk about, they were royal, okay? They belonged to the family of the kings, Maybe some of them were related to Jehoiakim. They were certainly related to this guy named Josiah, who was this big popular king who lived just before this, who died only about four years before this happened. They were from Josiah's family, the kingly family, the nobility, people who, without blemish, good appearance, skillful in wisdom, the smart guys, the strong guys, they were taken out. Verse number five, it says the king, this is Nebuchadnezzar, assigned them daily portions of food that the king ate. So he's given them some good food, his own food, right? And of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. So imagine, this is like, a, like high school in Babylon, but maybe more like college, right? This is, you're taking these young men, I think 13, 14, 15, right? The best looking, the strongest, noble, taking them and educating them and really re-educating them in the language of the Chaldeans, right? That's the Babylonians. The language, the culture, the government. They're just teaching them, indoctrinating them in all the things that they need to know to be Babylonians. Not Israelites, but Babylonians. It says they were educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they would stand before the king. And among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief eunuch gave them names. Daniel, they called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. Now, in the Bible, we talked about how names are really important. Well, what these names are is basically taking their Hebrew name and saying the opposite thing. All of these names, these four names, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, these four teenage dudes who have these names, what they mean, first of all, Daniel's name means God is my judge, okay? All about the Lord, the Lord Yahweh. They change his name, call him Belshazzar, which means protect the god Bel's life. 
It's this praise of this foreign God, a God who's not a real God, but this fake God named Bel, who is one of the, the gods of the Babylonians. Hananiah, that name means God is gracious. Okay? They take his name, they change it, they call him Shadrach, which means at the command of Aku, which was one of the Babylonian gods. Right, you see how they're totally changing their identity here? Mishael, which is actually a question. So if you ever want to name your kid Mishael, it's a question. Um, so maybe there'll just be a weird kid. You'd be like, who is this kid? Uh, Mishael, what that means is who is like God, right? But you know that when you hear that, you're thinking, oh, that's like a praise of God. Like, who's like God? Who's amazing like God? Who's powerful like God? That makes sense. His name is Mishael. They change his name to Meshach, which means who is like Aku. You see that? They're taking their names and making them about their gods. Azariah means God has helped. They change his name to Abednego, which means servant of Nebo, which is one of their gods. You see how all this, as we talked about in the book of Exodus with Moses, is all a competition, basically, between the gods of the land and the God named the Lord, the God named Yahweh, the God we call the Lord. Now, these names and these meanings are important because they're trying to change them. Imagine being one of those people. Imagine being Daniel. Imagine being Hananiah or Mishael or Azariah. You go to this land. You're fed the food. You're given new names. You're supposed to take on a new identity that's not a godly identity, a worldly identity a Babylonian identity. Look at verse eight. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself, right? You see this picture, it looks like Daniel's a picky eater, okay? My middle name is Daniel, okay? I'm a picky eater, right? There's no correlation between the two, right? Um, Daniel's not just saying, ew, like, I don't want that food. Like, I'd actually rather have, you know, the little Jewish crackers, right? The kosher crackers. No, that's not what he's saying. It's not about that. What this is about is about serving God and serving the king. These two competing things where it's basically say, you can join this whole group of Babylonians and you can eat the food. And in so doing, what you're doing is you are disobeying God. And the reason for that is because if you remember from the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy, God gave laws for things they were supposed to eat as Jews and things they were not supposed to eat. And what the Bible says in these Old Testament times with the Israelites, it would be sinful, it would be wrong, and God would say this is not okay for them to eat certain things. Right? That was a big deal in the Old Testament. And Daniel says, I'm not gonna eat these things. And doing this, they did not partake in the sin of Babylon. Look at verse 9. It says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar there, who assigned your food and your drink, for why, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the other youths who are of your age? So you would endanger my head with the king. He's saying, look, you got to eat this food, because if you don't eat this food, you're going to lose all your, your, um, your muscle. Right? You just want to eat vegetables. You don't want to eat this pork. You don't want to eat these good. Well, you're going to lose all your muscle mass. Right? You're not going to be fit anymore. You're probably going to get tired. Right? You need to eat the good food to stay alert and healthy. So Daniel's like, well, no, I'm not going to do that. Verse 11, Daniel said to the steward, um, whom the chief of eunuchs assigned to over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink instead of the, the pork and instead of all these foods that would have disobeyed God. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who ate the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this manner and tested them for 10 days. 
And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh, right? Which, by the way, when the Bible says fatter, it doesn't always mean like fatter. Sometimes what that means is, is like more like, I don't know, girthy, healthy, right? Less scrawny is usually what it means. So um, if you're thinking about going on, a, um, you know, trying to gain weight, vegetables, I don't know if that's a good idea. Um, certainly, this is not supposed to be, you know, dieting advice, okay? So just to get that clear, some pastors have written books about how it is that, and it's not. Um, it's not about the diet. That's not what this is, this is about. But it says, they listened to him, and at the end of 10 days, they're in better appearance than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away the food and the wine to drink and gave them all vegetables. So it's like, great, thanks, Daniel. Now we have to eat vegetables. We can't eat the good food, right? What is all this about? Well, Daniel was given clear instructions in the Bible. Clear instructions. Do not eat these certain foods, right? He had the Bible. He had the book of Leviticus. He knew exactly what he was supposed to do. It was clear in the Bible. He had the choice. Do I obey the Bible or do I do what everybody else is doing? Do I obey God's word, which is clear? It's right here. I can point to it. I can recite the verse. I memorized it. Or do I just kind of say, well, I mean, it's part of my job to do this sin. Like, I, I have to do this. It's part of my schooling. It's part of my education. What we want to talk about today with Daniel is his obedience, okay? And I want you to write that down for point number one, super simple. Obey God like Daniel. Obey God like Daniel. Super important that you see that because that's really what all this food stuff is all about. Leviticus chapter 11, Deuteronomy chapter 14. They say there are certain foods that are clean and certain foods that are unclean. You say, well, why did God make that decision? Well, because God made that decision. And the reason he did that is he wanted this nation of Israel to be different from the world. He says, I don't want you to be like the rest of the world. Right? And even in the New Testament, you have a little bit of carryover for that. We don't want to be like the rest of the world. We don't want to be doing all the sins that the rest of the world is doing. But worse than that, what we think this food was really about was we think that the food was sacrificed in a, in a pagan ritual. And what that means is that they take these animals and they'd sacrifice them to these fake gods, to these false gods. And by eating them, you're partaking in the, the sacrifice to these false gods, which is probably ultimately, I mean, there's two reasons why Daniel said, I'm not going to do it. I know what God tells me to do. And it would be dishonoring to God for me to do this thing. It's hard for them to obey because in doing that, they would become outsiders. They'd become weirdos. They'd become people who are doing stuff that the rest of the world doesn't do. You have subpoints under there. I want you to look at what Daniel was doing, and I want you just to follow Daniel's example by obeying God even when you're the only one. Right? And Daniel was the only one. Well, him and his three friends. So the four of them were by themselves. Sometimes I talk to some of you, and you say, it's really hard for me to follow God because at school, I don't know many Christians. Right? That's a lot of your situations. And maybe a lot of your friends are non-Christians, and probably the same thing with Daniel. He probably had a lot of friends at his university who weren't really following God. He had some closest friends, his friends that he kept close for the rest of his life. Those guys, they did follow God, but he knew a lot of people that didn't. That was not an excuse for Daniel. He didn't say, because everybody else at school is disobeying God, then I guess I can just disobey too. I mean, it would be weird if I didn't. It'd be weird if I didn't fit in. That's not what he says. He's the only one. I want you to think what it would be like to be him. Um, where are his parents? You ever thought about that? Where's Daniel's parents? He's a teenager. Where are his parents? Um, either killed or left in Judah. They weren't taken. Says that they were separated from their parents. That was the whole point, right? And that's actually, you know, if, if you want to indoctrinate people, that's what you do. You separate kids from their parents. You don't let them talk to their parents. You don't let them, their parents disciple the kids, right? You want to break that bond. That's what they did. They separated him from their parents. 
It was a horrible thing they did. They didn't have the pressure. They didn't have mom and dad over their shoulders saying, you have to obey God. Hey, remember, you need to obey God. They were on their own. It's kind of like you guys at school, right? Some of you go to school um, and, you know, obviously your parents aren't there, right? Unless you're homeschooled, then your parents are there. Um, but those of you that go to other school, right? Your parents aren't there. You could say stuff. You could do stuff. You could partake in jokes that you shouldn't. You could say words you shouldn't. You could look at things that you shouldn't. You could talk about things you shouldn't, right? You do all those things. You could be disrespectful to the teachers in ways that you shouldn't, right? And your parents aren't over your shoulder watching, right? Same thing with Daniel. But here's what Daniel thought. It's better for me to obey God than to do anything that these other worldly, sinful people are doing. In the New Testament, we see this in 1 Peter chapter 1, talking to Christians. It says, therefore, Christians should prepare their minds for action, being sober-minded, and setting your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that means is Christians should remember that although your parents might not be looking over your shoulder, although you might be the only one that is obeying God, that Jesus is watching. And more than that, that Jesus is gonna come back. That's what this verse is about. It says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He's saying, don't act like you acted before you became a Christian. If you have become a Christian recently, maybe it's easier for you to see that you acted a certain way when you weren't a Christian. You lied to your parents. You cheated on your tests. You stole things, even if they're small. You said God's name in vain. Maybe you said cuss words at school, right? You had all these things that you did, and then maybe now you're a Christian. He says, don't be like you were before you became a Christian. That's what it means to be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Verse 15, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. They were, obeyed, they were motivated to obey God more than they were motivated to do whatever they wanted to do. I just want you to think, what are you more motivated to do? Are you more motivated by the friends at school, the situations you're in, to do whatever sinful thing you wanted to do? And by the way, don't think Daniel was just a picky eater and he didn't like the food. The food was a lot better than what he was doing. And if you've ever been hungry, and what I mean by that is really hungry, maybe not eating for multiple hours or maybe even more than a day, you're kind of going to want the good food, right? Vegetables and water is not the best sounding food. You're going to want the meat, even if it's meat you've never had before, right? I have to admit something to you. I don't really like Chinese food, okay? But there was a time when I was very, very hungry where that was all there was, was Chinese food. It was actually at a TNN back when I was uh, in like seventh grade. I remember it vividly. We were up in the upstairs room and Panda Express was being served. I don't like how Panda Express smell. You notice how we don't have Panda Express at the Narrow? Well, why do you think that is? Because um, I don't like it. Um, thank you. Um, I hated it. But it was one of those TNNs where you run around for a long time and you get sweaty and it's like maybe August or September or October where it's like really hot and you're super sweaty and you hadn't eaten that much and your, your legs kind of get a little weak and then your crush walks in and your legs get really weak, right? And you're just like, oh, I need to eat some food. I need, what do we have? Pan Express? Ah, uh, okay. And blah, 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 right? That's how Daniel felt. He was hungry, right? So don't think just because he didn't like the food or never had the food that it wasn't appealing to him. It certainly was. But he said, you know what? No, I can't eat that food because that would be disobeying God. We're supposed to be holy as he's holy. Here's the other thing that made interesting Daniel's situation. He could have eaten the food and nobody would have known. What I mean by that is, yeah, the people around him would know. 
right? But his parents wouldn't know. His priests wouldn't know, right? Remember the priests, the Levites? When were they taken? They were all, half of them were taken in the exile later on. They were still left back at home. He was taken, separated from his parents, not with his friends, except for these three, I suppose. Nobody would know if he did the wrong thing. Sometimes you're gonna be confronted with situations and you might've already been confronted with situations this week where you could do something wrong, you could say something, you could go somewhere, you could do something, you could look at something that maybe nobody would know, right? Parents aren't there, friends aren't there. You're not gonna get caught, right? Daniel, same situation. Right, but what did he do? Instead of saying, okay, let me just do that thing because you know, now's my opportunity to do something wrong and sinful, he says, no, I can't do that. I'm not gonna do that because guess what? God is watching. And that mattered more to him than what his friends thought and what the people at his university thought. It mattered more to him. He could have rationalized it. He could have said, hey, it's just my job. I gotta eat this food, right? It's part of my job. Could have said nobody would know. And in a worldly sense, maybe nobody would. Nobody would have stopped Daniel. Nobody would have said to Daniel, hey, you shouldn't do that. All the doors were open to do the wrong thing for Daniel, but he said, absolutely not. Because that's how much he cared about obeying God. I want you to think, if all the doors for you are open to do the wrong thing, and maybe you've experienced that situation where you could go somewhere, you could do something, you're alone, you're, you're by yourself, and it's just you, and you could do the wrong thing, what do you do? Daniel said, I'm gonna obey God because I know I'm not all alone because God's watching, because God would know. That mattered more to him. The whole food thing was weird. I know we read it, you're like, what in the world? What's, what's wrong with all the food? That was weird, but there's another situation that happens later on in Daniel's life. In Daniel chapter six, turn to Daniel chapter six. Daniel is confronted with another situation where he has a choice. I can obey God or I can do what the world wants me to do. And honestly, what might be easier for me to do? Daniel's confronted with a law that shows up because some people were angry at him. The backstory to this is the Babylonians are actually out of power now. This probably happens decades later, at least 20 or 30 years after Daniel was originally taken. Daniel chapter six describes how a new king was ruling. His name was Darius or Darius, depending on who is reading the Bible to you. Um, you know how like when you listen to the Bible on like a, on your phone or something, like sometimes the guy with the good voice is like Darius, right? And it's like, oh, I didn't know that's how you said his name. Okay, cool. Like now I know. And then someone else reads it a different way. You know what I'm talking about? Just me, right? Naphtali, Naphtali, right? There's, there's a name in the Bible that's really easy. Um, one of the tribes, Dan, D-A-N, Dan. It's really easy. So they say it the same as we say it, obviously. Um, Daniel is also easy to say, but anyway. Um, Darius, he's the king. He's actually not a Babylonian. He's a Mede, right? The Medes and the Persians, you might know the Persians, right? They got together. They were this joint kingdom, and he's the king now. He becomes friends with Daniel, and he actually sets Daniel as one of the three, basically, vice presidents of the land, right? You got the king at the top, then you've got this group of three really important rulers, and Daniel is one of them. And Daniel had such a good relationship with the king that everybody got jealous of him. And what they did is they made a rule. And here's what the rule said. Daniel chapter six, verse six, it says, these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. He's not going to, but um, I guess that's just a nice thing to say to a king. Um, it says, all the high officials of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance 
and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any God or man for 30 days, if you pray, if you ask for something official, in an official sense, that's what a petition is, for 30 days, except you, O king, they shall be cast into a den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius was like, okay, cool. Like, I don't care. Cool. That sounds like a great idea. They can ask me. Great. Um, and he signed the document and the injunction. That's Daniel chapter 6, verse 9. So now, officially, what, what does this law say now? Officially, it's illegal to pray. It's illegal to talk to God. It's illegal for you to ask God for things. It's illegal for you to read the Bible and to respond to that by asking God for things in prayer. It's illegal to do that. What does he do? Daniel, chapter 6, verse 10, look at it. It says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. I know this is the situation of obedience, but really this second half of the book of Daniel is all about how Daniel prayed. It's all about how Daniel related to God through prayer. And I just want you to realize this, the consequences for him praying were severe. What happened later on in the story is people catch him because he does it right as he used to do. When he knew the document was signed and he knew it was against the law to pray, he went right back to doing it. He didn't care because he said, I'm fearing God, not these people, not this law, not this ordinance. Daniel, who's an old man at this point, is thrown into a den of lions and he has to stay there for an entire night. And all night long, King Darius is upset because he didn't want this to happen. He's actually probably, just to be honest, probably one of his only friends in the world who's a real friend to him is Daniel. He doesn't have that many people. Kings rarely have high officials that they trust. Daniel was probably one of Darius's best friends at this point. And he tries all night. He says he couldn't even sleep because he thought of Daniel and the lion's den. And he tried all night to reverse it, but he couldn't. And then he went down to the cave in the morning. And this shot right here is really cool. My parents actually have this up in their house. It's like a painting. Right? Uh, well, Daniel's looking up. And who's he talking to? He's talking to Darius, who opens up the cave in the morning. That's what a den is. It's not like a, a maybe in your house, the den is like the place where you, know, you walk into. A den is actually like a hole, right, that you get thrown into like this, right? Daniel's looking up, talking to Darius. And Darius says, hey, Daniel, did your God save you? And in this situation, God did save him. He said, yeah, he did. And he's let out, and then they throw the other guys into the lions, right? <laughs> As a lot of Bible stories end, there's this retribution, judgment on the people who made it bad for Daniel in the first place. Daniel faced pressure not to pray. I want not to pray. I want you to think through a question. How much pressure does it take for you to stop praying? How much pressure does it take for you to stop praying? The sad reality is for most of us, it doesn't take any pressure for us to stop praying. If anything, it takes pressure for us to even talk to God. Daniel wasn't like that. And I want us to look at Daniel's example. I want to pray like Daniel. That's the second main point tonight. Obey like Daniel, pray like Daniel. Reality is you're never going to obey God like Daniel unless you pray to God like Daniel. There's a connection there. I want you to see the connection. Daniel 6, 10, describes that Daniel prayed constantly. He prayed every day. He prayed not every day, once a day. He prayed three times a day. In this prayer, just think about what it would take for him to walk from his job, go back to his house three times a day, right? 
Maybe the lunchtime is right in the middle of the day, so maybe he's only leaving work once to do this, but he does it in the morning, we would assume. He does it around midday, we assume, and at night, three times a day. Leaving his job, leaving what he's doing, setting out this time to talk to God and to pray. That's incredible. How many of us pray consistently, even if it's not three times a day, but you carve out time and you keep that time slot? What kind of pressure does it take in your life to move that out? Right? For Daniel, it, even a law that said, this is against the law for you to do, that didn't change his mind. He prayed constantly. He was continuous in it. The sub point I want you to write down, pray like Daniel, especially when it's hard. Pray like Daniel, especially when it's hard. It was hard for him to pray and be consistent in it because it was against the law. It's not against the law for you to pray, but some of us pray a lot less than Daniel. The reality is all of us should pray even more than Daniel because we have less things going on. He was like the vice president of the biggest nation, the biggest empire on the planet. You think he was kind of busy guy who had a lot to do, right? And he made time three times a day to pray. We're not as busy as Daniel. We don't have as much going on as Daniel. He made time to pray. You might think, well, the reason I don't pray is because I don't feel like I need to pray all the time. And I can understand why you think that, but the reality is the Bible says the opposite. The Bible says that constantly, if you're a Christian, you're under attack from a spiritual force. Here's what 1 Peter 5.8 says. It says, be sober-minded. Come into that word twice, actually, tonight. Both times in 1 Peter. It means to be alert, to be ready. The opposite of sober-minded is like groggy. You know how you are, like after the third episode of that show you've been watching on Netflix and you just kind of let it play to the next one, right? You know how you feel in that moment, right? Just capture that moment in your mind. That's the opposite of sober-minded, right? When you just, uh, uh, I don't know what's going on, right? Sober-minded means alert, ready. It says be alert, be watchful, like your head is on a swivel. That's what this, word, this verse means. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Is it saying, oh, there's a lion that's going to get you? Right? No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about Satan and how Satan will use temptations in your life to get you out of prayer. If anything, you need to be praying all the time so that you can avoid the attacks that you're going to face. Here's what James says in his book. He says, you desire and you don't have, so you murder. You get upset at people and you get angry. It says, you covet, you want something, you can't get it. So you fight and quarrel. Basically, it's saying you have unmet desires, and that's what causes your relationship problems. You want something, you don't get it, you get upset. That's the, that's the story here. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. He's not talking about earthly things there. He's talking about with God there. He's switching because look what it says in verse 3. It says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. This is talking about prayer. He's saying, you don't have because you don't ask. I want you to think this through, guys. How often are you asking God for important things? How often are you praying to him about that big thing in your life? How often? Is it sometimes? Is it when you feel like it? Or is it consistently, regularly? Yeah, every day I'm going to God about this thing. Later on, book of Daniel, one more passage I want you to look at. Daniel chapter 9. It actually writes out one of his prayers. We don't know what Daniel prayed in Daniel 6, but we know he prayed. He was thrown into the lion's den and he was saved. God saved him. Daniel chapter 9, actually we have written out one of the most important prayers in all of the Bible, and I want us to read through it before we close tonight. Daniel chapter 9, look at verse 4. Daniel's writing this, he says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. Confession means you agree with God about something. It says, O Lord, the great and awesome God, 
who keeps covenant in steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, right? First of all, wow, what an introduction. What is he saying to God when he's praying to God? Is he saying, dear God, I pray for da 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 That's not how he starts this. What does he do? He talks to God and he tells God all the reasons God is really good. You see that? He keeps covenant. He's got this love. He keeps all these things to the people who love him. Verse five, we have sinned. What did Daniel do? We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled and turned aside from your commandments and rules. He's actually referring to the people who lived in the land of Judah before him. He's talking about his grandpa. And his, he's like confessing these sins of people. And he's not even confessing his own sins. He's talking about, he's like identifying himself at, in the sin problem. Saying, we have sinned. We have acted wickedly. Verse six says, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to your kings, our princes and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all of Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you've driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you, because of all the sin that we've done. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, and we've not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws which he has set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us, like like a big tidal wave of judgment on the people of Judah. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God. We haven't turned to God. We haven't asked for forgiveness. We've taken the punishment, but we haven't asked God for forgiveness. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works and that all he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. Verse 15 says, And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself as it is this day. We have sinned and we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword. People make fun of it. And all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. For your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear to hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our plea before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy, O Lord. Hear, O Lord. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, Oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. That's a big, long section, a big, long prayer, but I want you to notice how he prays. What does he pray about? Is he praying about me and all my life is so rough? God, can you please make my life better? Please, I I just got this problem that's going on. There's a big problem. That's not what he's praying about. He's praying about and for his people. He's interceding for people. He's asking God to forgive people. He's asking God to forgive them and to set up his kingdom again in, in Judah. Why? Not so that, oh, I just, 
Babylon. I'm just getting tired of Babylon. That's not the whole point. The point is all about for God, doing things for God, praying to God about God. Last thing I want you to write down is especially, right? Pray like Daniel, especially when God's people need it. Right? There are so many people in your life that need you to pray for them. There's so many people that you could think of right now. And if you had to make a list, you could write out a lot of people in your life that you know, I need to pray for them. Daniel had the same thing. He had so many people he needed to pray for. And we'll also remember the words of Samuel. He actually said this in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel 12, 23. He's talking to King Saul. And this is actually when Samuel's leaving office. This is when he's peacing out and he's not gonna be the prophet. He's not gonna be the judge anymore. It's all in the hands of Saul. And he says, moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I wonder if we've ever thought about prayer like that. That if we neglect to pray for some people, what does God view that as? Samuel says God views that as a sin. A sin against God for us to stop praying for people? That's a, hard, that's a high bar. That's a hard thing for us to get on with. But we can do it. God calls us to pray like Daniel, especially when God's people need it. I want you to see that for Daniel, that connection between obedience and prayer, that had to be the case. If Daniel was not praying like he did, he would not have been the obedient, solid guy. But recognize all of this comes underneath Daniel's right relationship with God. He did this because he knew God. But the problem is, it's hard to obey, and maybe it's hard to pray because you don't know God. And some of you don't know God. Some of you heard about God, some of you know about God, but if you don't know God through relationship with Jesus, if you haven't repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus alone for salvation, not you, not your good works, not your obedience, not even your prayer, but if you're, if, if you're not trusting in Jesus and what he did for you, you can't really do much of this that we're talking about. This is really for the people who've turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus. But if you've done that, right, and even saying that, you've done that, this has happened to you. Right? You're passive in salvation. Salvation happens to you. It's not something that you do. God does it to you. That makes sense. If you're a person that God has saved, let's put it that way, prayer obedience. That's, that's the next thing. That's what God calls us to do. So for those of you who are Christians, I hope that tonight, as you think about prayer and you think about obedience, I hope that we can recommit to obey God better. And that a lot of that starts with prayer. And that's what we're going to talk about in small groups. So let's pray right now and let's break up into small groups so we can talk about how to be like Daniel in these areas. Let's pray. God, thank you for being so clear in your word that we're called to obey you called to obey you when the commands are clear, as they were for Daniel, and we're also called to obey you when the, cl- the commands are less clear, when we're, we're not sure what to do. I know in a lot of our situations, it's so obvious and so clear what we should do. When you avoid lying, when you stop saying bad words, when you stop going to places we shouldn't with people we shouldn't and doing things we shouldn't. So many clear things like that, and then the other side, there's so many things that you call us to do that if we don't do, we're in, we're in sin as well. I ask you to help us be better prayers and be better obedient people for you. You know, Daniel prayed about the city being set up again and then coming back out of exile. He says, it's all about you. It's all about your name. You know, that your name was being dishonored at that time. Same thing's true for Christians who are not obeying you. Your name is being dishonored. Pray that you, you would help these students, those that are really saved, those who really have a relationship with you through Jesus, Pray that you would help them stop sinning. We know it's dishonoring to you. 
It's dishonoring when we sin, and we confess that. I confess that. I'm a part of the problem. Please help us see the righteousness that you show us in the Bible, that righteous standard of Jesus, and help us live like him. And help us also live like Daniel as we study tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys.